Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all of its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. It's good to see everyone today uh, and uh, to get a chance to, to share. Uh, this last week as I've studied and prepared, um, this has really spoken to me. Hopefully, you'll, be, you'll, you'll feel the same afterwards. Um, I appreciate, uh, we're still in the Colossians, in the Rooted series, to be rooted in the gospel. Uh, and so, um, I appreciate Pastor Rodney last week speaking and really uh, talking about Christ. In the passage he spoke from in Colossians, some believe that it may have been a hymn that they sang in the early church uh, because it talks about the many characteristics of Christ, being the firstborn of all creation, being the creator of all things, sustainer of all things. So it just, it worships Christ. Um, and you know, um, that is what sets the, our faith apart from others. I've had the opportunity over the last several months to meet with some uh, young men that ride through our neighborhood on bicycles with white shirts and ties. Uh, And they've showed up, they're probably in their 20s, and they're wearing these little tags that say, elder so-and-so. And I say, how can you be an elder? You're not older than my son. But we've had some good conversations, and as we've talked and shared together, the last time we were together, I said, how do you know what you believe is true? How do you know that this, all you're telling me is true? And one of them, they, after we met with the younger men, they started bringing an older gentleman to meet with me. And so it's been good to, to talk, but they, one of them said, well, he said, I just prayed and I got this warm feeling within me. Uh, in their belief, they have this, what they call a, a burning in the bosom that it confirms uh, what they believe is true. And so he said, you just got to believe and, and trust your heart. And I said, yeah, but Scripture tells me that the heart is the deceitful beyond all things. So how do I? I said, I need more than just my heart. And as we talked, they, the last time they said, well, just, well, you just pray. And if you experience the same thing, then, then you'll know it's true. So I said, okay, I'll pray. I'll be glad to pray. And this last week I was praying. I said, you know, God... You know, it, what they're teaching and what Scripture teaches is, is not the same. And I got a, a, a feeling within me, but it wasn't a, a warm feeling. It was like a knot in my stomach. It was like a catch in my spirit, a, a cautiousness. And I said, where is this coming from? Why, why am I feeling this? And I said, God, is there some Scripture I could turn to? And so the passage that came to my mind was in Colossians chapter 2. And I'm not speaking on this today, I'm just giving this to you as an example of how powerful God's Word is. Uh, But in Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And I thought, that's it, that's it. Because what they're teaching and what they're saying is that they believe in a, a God in multiple forms, but Christ is not God. He is a God. He is not God as we know him. 
And so I thought, that's the difference. And that's what, so I hope to meet with them again and, and tell them, this is what I'm understanding. I can't agree with you because you don't believe in the God of the Bible, in the God that I know, in Jesus as God in flesh. And how important is that, that we know that, that we are firm in that, that we're sure of that, that roots us in our faith. Um, Dr. Bill Bright, the uh, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ crew, he had a say, and he said, we can trace all of our human problems to our view of God. If we miss who God is, it changes how we live our lives. And so I see so many people, when uh, they talk about God, Jesus has been a part of the Godhead. They have explanations, but they really don't believe that he is God. Uh, most of the other belief systems have a, an explanation for Jesus, but they don't accept him as God. And, and Pastor Rodney said he is God. He is who he claims to be. And so I, I think about that. That's, 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 that's the part we start from, and then we grow in that. But this week, we want to, I want to speak from Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. And it goes on from that. Once I grasp who Jesus is, then I can know what he's doing in my life and how he can do this in my life. Let me read that passage to us, Colossians 1, 21 to 23. It says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you, or reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. As I was studying this and looking at it, I see there are three sets of threes in this passage. Three sets of threes. I want to go through those this morning. The first set of threes is in verse 21. It says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. This is how you used to be. You were alienated. To be alienated is to be separated from. We're alienated from God. We, we, we didn't know him, but we were alienated from him. In Ephesians 4, 17 to 18, it speaks of the same condition. Paul is writing, now I say this, I say and testify to the Lord that you, he's talking to the believers in, in Ephesus, must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, those who do not believe. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Their ignorance, their unbelief, their not knowing leads to a hardness of heart. So he said, don't be like them. They're alienated. And in this passage, alienation, hostile in mind, and evil deeds, I see there's a progression. It starts with alienation. And because we're alienated from God, we believe that we can meet our needs by ourselves, maybe in our own way. And so instead of trusting God in our lives to meet our needs, we trust ourselves or we put that burden on others. And when we or others are unable to meet our needs, we become angry and even hostile. We want someone to blame for our needs not being met. And our anger results in evil deeds as we act out in anger towards others trying to force them to meet our needs even though they can't they're not able to meet our needs and instead of running to God at this point who alone can meet our needs we it often leads us to further alienation to further trying 
to further work in our own efforts. And the cycle starts all over again. Alienation to hostility to evil deeds. Matt Chandler, the pastor of a church, the Village Church in Texas, he calls this the cul-de-sac of stupidity. We just go in these circles. Or another way of saying it, maybe you've heard it's the definition of insanity. You do the same things, hoping for a different result. It just gets worse instead of better. So we're stuck in this cul-de-sac. And the only way out is to turn to God. An example of this may be, uh, as a man, I speak from my experience, if I'm alienated from the source of true love, I start looking to others to meet that need. Maybe I looked to my wife to meet all my needs for love. When she fails, as she will, because only God can meet this need for love in my life, I become angry and I blame her that she's not doing what she's supposed to do as a wife to meet my needs. And in my anger, I I can become abusive, either physically or, or emotionally or verbally. I can become abusive toward her. I can begin to look for other ways to meet this need that I think that I can meet this need this way. I can look to porn. I can look to another person. And this only increases my alienation from God. It doesn't bring me closer. It brings me further, takes me further away. And sometimes in, in, in our, my perversion and the perversion in this way, we can think, well, I don't want to tell my wife because I'm struggling with this. That's what I'm going through because I care for her. I don't want to hurt her. In actuality, reality, I care for myself and that my needs are being met and she's not able to do that. This is Valentine's week. We celebrate on Friday. And uh, when Connie and I were dating, there was a group, the group Chicago. Anybody know that group? Uh, I know it's before many of you, but uh, Chicago had a song. It was called You're the Inspiration. It's a beautiful song, a song of devotion, a romantic song. And the lyrics went like this, go like this. You know our love was meant to be the kind of love to last forever. I want you here with me from tonight until the end of time. You're the meaning in my life. You're the inspiration. You bring feeling to my life. You're the inspiration. It's a beautiful song, but I told Connie, I love her. But even if I could sing, which I can't, I couldn't sing that song to her from my heart. Because I said, Jesus is my meaning in life. Jesus is my inspiration. She surely inspires me and encourages me. And works in my life, but, but he, she can't, I can't put that on her and expect her because she will fail. And then I, I become angry, and then I begin to act out in that. Another example of this is trying to find security apart from God in our life. Maybe we look to our wealth or our accumulation of wealth to give us security. And then in doing that, I never seemed to have enough to feel really secure. And then when my security is shaken, maybe by theft or the fall in, in my investments, if I have any, I become angry and not being able to meet this need. And I want to blame somebody. And so then I begin to think, okay, how can I meet this need? I don't, I don't ever. Maybe I'll become deceptive and even myself stealing to increase my bank account to the level I feel I need for security. But somehow, I never have enough to feel really secure, and the cycle continues. Or maybe I look to my work to find purpose in my life. Yeah, this will give me purpose. And I work hard, 
And I start moving up in my work to satisfy my desire for significance. But then I become angry. I'm not moving fast enough. I'm not getting to that point where I really matter, where I'm really important. And I get angry. And in my anger, I resort to undermining others or even stepping on them to get to where I believe I can be really important and have find really purpose and significance. But then I always have to watch my back because in my effort to get up, I've made a lot of enemies and they're after me. And so many live their whole lives in these vicious cycles and they die never finding God's purpose for their lives. So we're caught in this cul-de-sac of stupidity. He says, you were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He says, what we do when we're alienated from God? We're not looking to him. We're trying to do it in our own efforts. But the second set of three shows God's response to our alienation. God didn't mean us to live this way. He didn't want us to live this way. Let's continue. Let's go back and read See what God's response is. It says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. Reconciliation is God, excuse me, God's answer to our alienation. We are alienated from God because of our sinfulness and our rejection of him. We're, we're born into it. We got Adam's rejection of God in the beginning, we inherit his nature. So we're born into this situation of alienation. And this alienation is also referred to in Scripture as death. In Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. It is a death in our lives. And either we will die for our sins or we need someone to die for us, to take that wages for us. And God, we know in Scripture himself, provided the means for this reconciliation. In Romans 5, 8, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God wanted to reconcile us to himself, so he paid the price for our reconciliation. While we were still alienated and rejecting him, Jesus died for us to say, I want, I want that. He chose us, and even in that, he gave us the faith to respond in choosing him. It was him. It says he has reconciled us. It's his work in our life. And then it says he reconciled us. What was the purpose of his reconciliation? It says, in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. He reconciled us to present us holy. He wants us to be holy. Instead of being alienated, he brought us near. And exchanged our sinfulness for his righteousness. I will give you my righteousness. I will take your sinfulness. Which he did on the cross. And then he set us apart for himself. I have a plan for you. I have something for you. You are holy to me. And then he said, you are blameless. Whoa. He says, we became blameless through his righteousness. He doesn't see us in our sinfulness. He sees us in the righteousness of Christ. And so now if anyone tries to cast blame on us, which people will, cast blame, we do that all the time. If they try to cast blame on us, our response is Romans 8.33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. God did the justifying. I didn't. Nobody else but God. 
So who can bring a charge? If you're bringing a charge against me, you're bringing a charge against God because he justified me. It was his work in my life. And not only are we blameless, it says we are above reproach. I mean, nobody can touch us in some ways. It says, Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Nobody can condemn us. They might, they might try to cast blame on us. We can say, no, Jesus justified me. They can try to condemn us. No, the condemnation was taken by Christ. So I can be holy and blameless and above reproach. Let's keep reading in Romans chapter 8, that passage where I just read. It says, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the spirit of the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Christ condemned sin in the flesh. And he took that on himself and he died for us. And in place of our sinfulness, he gave us his righteousness so that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled. The righteous requirements remain. They don't change. The law is still the law. But Jesus said, I fulfilled it and I give you my righteousness so that you don't have to try to fulfill it in your own self. Then Paul contrasts Contrast the mindset on the flesh with the mindset on the spirit. And it's interesting, some of the same terms. He talks about it being hostile. The mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It is death. But he said the mind of the spirit is life and peace. And that leads us to the, the third set of three in the last part of our passage. It says, let's go back and read to bring us here. It says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This last group of three in this verse is summed up in the word stable, steadfast, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel. To be stable is to find strength in the gospel. And as Christians, we find strength and rest in the gospel, the finished work of Christ on our behalf. He finished it. I don't have to work. I can just receive what he's done for me. I find strength. I'm stable in the gospel. Then being steadfast is to find security in the death and resurrection of Jesus, which is the gospel. If we trust in the gospel, we will find security and not waver in our lives because he's finished it, he's done it, and I can trust in it. And then not shifting from the hope of the gospel means we look to Christ and not the things of the world for our hope in life. 
It means we apply Colossians 3, 1, and 2, which James read at the beginning of the worship. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Our hope is in Christ in heaven, not on things on the earth. So continuing stable and steadfast in the faith and not shifting from the hope of the gospel, it should be hallmarks of our lives as Christians. And we should see these increasing in our lives. We should see we're becoming more, finding more strength in the gospel. We're finding more of our security in the gospel. Our hope is more secure in Christ. We should see that increasing. That's the meaning of the, of the phrase, if indeed. Some people believe that this is a qualifying statement, that if I do this, this will happen. And I see it. No, it's, 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 a, it's a statement of saying this will, will happen in our lives. If indeed we find our stability, steadfastness, and hope in the gospel growing, it gives witness and assurance of our reconciliation. Christ has reconciled us. These give us assurance of that in our own lives. And as we continue in the faith... We will grow in our trust in the gospel for our stability, steadfastness, and our hope. But we can be sure that we have an enemy that doesn't want us to, to experience this. He doesn't want us to continue in the faith. He wants us to look away from the gospel for our stability, steadfastness, and, and hope. The last thing that he wants is for us to grow in our trust of God. But this is the only way we will be rooted in the gospel, is by putting our faith in the, in the gospel, by gaining our strength from the gospel, our security from the gospel, and seeing as that as our hope. And if we look to anything but Christ, our stability, steadfastness, and our hope will be shaken. You can be sure of it. My brother told me recently, he's working with a young man, <coughs> who some years ago was a, a very good pitcher on a baseball team. Actually, he was, his, his father, this young man's father, was a, a coach of a professional baseball team. And this young man, he grew up in a, a Christian home. He knew the gospel. He understood it. But what he enjoyed doing, what was his life, was baseball. And so one day, as he's pitching, he threw a pitch, and he heard a pop in his arm. And those of you who play baseball or sports, when things like that happen, it's not a good sign. And sure enough, he had to stop pitching that day. They did a, a test on him, and, and that was the last game he ever pitched. But he had aspirations, and his hope was in becoming at the level of his father. But it never happened. And so when that happened, when he could no longer do that, pitching in a game and playing the game of baseball, he went into a, a downward spin. And my brother met him recently as he's working with my brother because he had, was in a rehab, rehab center for drugs and alcohol because his hope was taken from him. His hope was in baseball, being able to play baseball, and it was taken from him. And then what does he have? And if you look at your life, are there things that you're putting your hope in that could be taken from you, that could be, be gone? There's, there's nothing in this life that will last forever. And are you putting your hope in, in God, in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, or are we putting it in things we can see? The world around us says, hope in this, hope in this. And God says, no, your only hope is in Christ and what he's done for us.
as I'll as I finish this morning, I'll ask the worship team to come uh, for our last for our closing. But what about you this morning? Where are you in this? Are you caught in the unending cycle of frustration and pain? Call the call the sack of stupidity because you're alienated from God. It all starts from a relationship with God. Are you alienated from Him and you're trying to make it on your own and yet you're just keep going further and further away from Him? Or maybe you know you're reconciled to God by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you're struggling to see growth in your life. I believe the answer, no matter where you are, is to turn to Jesus and to trust in His power to save you and to sanctify you. It's his work in our lives. And it's interesting, the scripture, he says, he wants to present you holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. That's what he wants. And I ask myself, am I willing to trust him to do that? Am I willing to trust him? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for... Um, yeah, for your, for your gospel. Thank you for these words that Paul penned in Colossians to show us that, uh, yeah, that we were once alienated apart from you and we see that life we lived and yet you have reconciled us to Christ and we put our trust there. And now you want to present us holy and blameless and beyond reproach and, and you want us to experience stability and steadfastness and hope in the gospel. May that be us. May that be characteristic of our lives and we'll be rooted in you. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for everyone here that will experience this in our lives. And I thank you that you give us the power to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.